are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. This evening, we begin a three-part series that will take us through the end of the month of July. And I must confess to you that I am weary of this online forum, especially for Growth University. I miss seeing you in the building on Wednesday nights. I miss our app time. And I never imagined a time where I would long to see people when I am teaching. Never had that consideration or thought before. You know, we all have heard those statistics of um, people's worst fear being public speaking. And so you would assume that maybe not having anybody staring at you would help. But my experience is it does not help because I realize how much I depend on uh, your response and encouragement, how much I miss feeling God's presence begin to move among us as we talk about his word and we consider it and feel its challenge to us together. I miss you very much. But I especially wish that we could be together for this particular series that we are calling Love One Another. Last fall, Pastor Tom and I planned the series for 2020 and Growth University, and I remember that there were a couple of months which we did not have a a clear sense of direction uh, concerning at the time. And I remember telling Tom, I want to look for an opportunity to again address the uh, topic of relationships as it relates to what the Bible tells us um, they should be. And uh, we agreed that we would prayerfully be looking for the right opportunity and the right topic. Because the truth of the matter is, Calvary, our faith is worked out within our relationships. We can say we believe a lot of things. We can have revelation and see things in Scripture. But it is how we live our lives that it is truly demonstrated what we believe. And the way that we practice that in most scenarios is through our interactions with other people. And that is why the Bible says so much about relationships and how we should treat one another. And so in the wake of George Floyd's death and all that has happened since, it seemed very clear to me that this was an important opportunity for us to consider together what the Bible says about how we should regard and treat one another. That's very important to me as we begin, as your pastor, as a teacher, someone whom the Bible says gives account to God and is judged with stricter judgment, that I give you context for my approach to this series. I want to begin by assuring you that this pulpit will never and has never taken a political stand or promoted an agenda other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has been overwhelming for me to consider all that could be said and should be said 
in response to the sin of racism that is sadly still so intertwined, not only in our history, but in our present culture. It breaks my heart, and I have grieved and felt such a heaviness for families who have been devastated by the needless loss of their loved ones. My heart has also been broken for the families of good police officers who have also become victims of these inexcusable crimes. To be sure, there are many voices out there. And I want you to know that as part of my preparation for this series, I have limited my time on social media very much since the beginning of May. It's important to me that you know that my approach is not in response to anything that I have read from any influencer on social media or any one person within our congregation. I approach this series with a personal resolve and sense of responsibility to you as God's people. A desperation in my heart to hear from God. However, this isn't because I think we have a problem here locally at the Calvary Church. In the midst of spiritual darkness that we're wading through as a nation, I have never been more thankful to be a believer, specifically a Pentecostal believer. From the day of Pentecost to the Azusa Street Revival, Pentecost has always been a multicultural phenomenon. The move and power of God's Spirit unites in a way that nothing else can. There will never be a program or a personality There will never be a political figure that can bring people together like the Spirit of God can. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance are all fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. And no human effort alone can duplicate that powerful list in the world. And so our study on loving one another will consider only what this book has to say on the matter. Because it is the Bible alone that is the authority on the weakness of our flesh and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And while I believe in the need for change, the need for accountability, the need for justice, the only solution, my friends to what ails these United States, is Jesus. The truth is, government cannot solve a moral problem. We need revival in the land of the free because of the brave. America needs Jesus like we have never needed him before. You see, Jesus systematically tore down every social barrier of his day. From racism to sexism to religious bigotry, Jesus took it head on. Not only by his teaching, but by his example. He didn't just talk about the change. Or could I say, he didn't just post about loving people. He did it with his actions. He did not just speak 
of justice and kindness, but he demonstrated it. Jesus was inclusive in every scenario that we know he was in. He looked for ways to reach out to those on the peripheral. His inner circle itself included people that represented different social groups of that time. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus interacting with Jews and Romans and rich and poor and men and women and children and the sick. We see Jesus not only teaching what it means to love, but we see him doing it. His efforts were unprecedented in that culture. He showed love to everyone that he came in contact with. We know that Jesus went out of his way, both figuratively and literally, to show love to those who had been marginalized and rejected by that society. Jesus is the answer. He alone is our example as spirit-filled believers. The truth is this, all of us fall short in this area of loving one another. All of us can grow in our relationship with God in this way. All of us need to become more like Jesus. Even if we grew up in the church, even if you've never had a racist thought in your entire life, none of us have completely lived up to this book when it comes to loving each other. And so I would ask you to study prayerfully these passages with me in these next few weeks with a heart open to be challenged and convicted by what this book says we should be doing today and every day. And so as we begin, I want to consider what the Bible says about loving one another. The exact phrase, love one another, is mentioned 12 times in Scripture. However, the command to love one another is referred to about 69 times in 19 different verses. And what I feel for us to consider tonight is the specific context of Jesus' references to this command during his ministry. The first is found in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And uh, 34 was our verse of the week here a few weeks ago. I'll be reading it in the New King James Version. A new commandment I give to you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The message puts it this way. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love you have for each other. Now the context of these verses is the night of Jesus' betrayal. In this chapter we find the conclusion of what we know as the Last Supper. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, much to Peter's dismay. Jesus speaks of his betrayal and death. He gives Judas permission to do what he intends. And Judas leaves the meeting in preparation 
of Jesus' arrest. What a setting for this new commandment to be given by Jesus. Think of the intensity of this moment with me in Jesus' life. The disciples may not have completely understood all that he was referring to that night, but they knew something was different. Jesus was telling them things are about to change. Consider with me all that took place in that room that night. They shared the Last Supper. Jesus washes their feet. Judas leaves the group. Peter, emphatic about his loyalty to the Lord. Jesus warns Peter of his impending denial of all the times that they had had together. It is this moment that Jesus teaches a new commandment on the love his followers are to have for one another. Sandwiched between two betrayals, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And in the context of uncertainty as that group had, the betrayal of some within the group Jesus was addressing, Jesus raised the bar on the very thing that would be tested in all of them in the next few days, their love for him and their love for each other. These final moments together were marked by fear and confusion. Jesus tells them not just to love one another as themselves, but to love one another as he loved them. It is vital to realize that at this particular moment, they are unaware of the depth of Jesus' love for them because he had not yet died for them. Jesus' phrasing, I believe, is very deliberate in this verse when he said, a new commandment. He's making reference to a commandment that was fundamental to the Jewish faith and part of the Torah. A commandment recorded in the book of Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 through 18. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This command to love your neighbor as yourself was given to Moses as part of the ceremony and ceremonial and moral laws. If this was something God established back with Moses, then why would Jesus use the term new? The concept in and of itself was not new by any means, especially not to the people Jesus was talking to that night. The command to love wasn't new, but the extent of love Jesus was about to demonstrate was. Love would be newly defined from his example on the cross at Calvary. 
And the Greek word here used for new in this verse implies freshness. Jesus was giving a new approach. It was not that this commandment had just been created, but that it was being presented in a new, fresh way. Well, let me just pause here and say that we must not allow ourselves to be deceived by false teaching that would imply to us that God's grace, that the post-Calvary reality somehow requires less of you and I. While we understand we no longer live under that law given to Moses, we in fact live under a much weightier law, the law of the grace of God. It is sickening to me. And one of my personal soapboxes, boxes, if you're not picking up on it already, to hear the word of God and Jesus' work on the cross grossly misrepresented by the implication that somehow grace is a get-out-of-jail-free card. My beloved father used to say, Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could say you were sorry. But Jesus died on the cross so that you could be changed. And Paul echoes that sentiment in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, when he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not, is Paul's emphatic reply. He went on to say, You need to serve God just the way and just as hard as you used to serve sin because grace requires more of us. Jesus did not just fulfill the law. He embodied it and he raised the bar. He made it so much more than just rules. But Jesus made it clear, I am concerned not just with you obeying, but the condition of your heart and the motives behind it. And that, my friend, is a higher standard of accountability for us to live under. Grace keeps us accountable for what is in our hearts. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Because that's contrary to what this book tells us about the grace of God. The command to love was not in and of itself new, but rather it was to be understood in a new way. More was now required. Not just to love your neighbor as you love yourself, but Jesus made it very clear. You are to love your neighbor as I have loved you Here in John 13, we find Jesus' updated version, if you will. Love as I have loved you. A new standard being set. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us. And that is far more than we love ourselves. Consider with me quickly what Jesus could have said in those final dramatic moments that they had together. Jesus was not saying, love me more on his way to Calvary. He certainly could have. Two of them were about to betray him. Now would have been a good time for Jesus to advise, y'all really need to up your game. 
The loyalty thing is in question right now. You need to get ready. You need to do a better job of loving me because things are about to get really tough. It would have made sense because Jesus knew what was about to happen with Judas. Jesus knew what was about to happen with Peter and the rest of the disciples. But in the face of a brutal death and betrayal, Jesus' concern was not their devotion to him, but their love for each other. And that, my friends, is both powerful and convicting for us. Jesus was saying that love would be the way the disciples would be identified with him. Not by miracles or the signs that would follow them. Not by the sizes of the churches that they would plant and lead. Not even by the marks of success in ministry. Not through their powerful teaching or preaching or their great influence in their community. Love is how people would know that they were his followers. And so from these verses in John 13, we understand three very important things. That Jesus marks us as his disciples by our love for one another. Number two, we can mark ourselves as his disciples by our love for one another. And thirdly, the world can mark us, his disciples, by our love for one another. By this. Jesus was saying, this is the marker. This love for each other is the badge that you wear that identifies you with me. It's not your dress. It's not your conduct. It's not the brave face that you put on to the world. It's not even in just the words that you say. You see, it's not enough that you and I identify ourselves as Christians. The world, Jesus said, should be able to identify us as Christians. My God. Jesus sets the bar so high. His expectation is so weighty. The world will see love personified through you. Not through your words, but through your actions. So simple, yet so powerful. So needed by us in this culture we're living in. By this, by love, you will be known. You will find yourself identified with me by the love you show to each other. Another time in John's gospel, Jesus established this new commandment. Just two chapters later, in John 15, beginning with verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I must confess that even though I have known verse 13 for most of my life, I don't recall ever considering it within its context. Greater love hath no one than this. That, that's a phrase we have most likely heard in a variety of situations. And some of the settings aren't even religious ones, per se. We've heard it in eulogies. We've heard it in tributes to 
fallen heroes. We hear it around holidays like Memorial Day. And I remember as a kid, being a Disney kid, and I know that some of you are, when I realized that Bagheera the panther in Disney's Jungle Book quotes this verse near what they think is the end of their friend Baloo's life. He says to Mowgli, greater love has no one than this. And I remember just being amazed and saying, Dad, Bagheera just quoted one of my verses. It was incredible. But I make that point to say that it is easy for us to limit our understanding and consequently our application of Scripture in our lives. Here, Jesus was not just making reference to his own sacrifice at Calvary, but he was giving the parameters for a love like his. A love that would be offered unconditionally and sacrificially. In my study for this series, I came across a quote that really struck me and drives this point home. And it is this, in light of Christ's example, Christians bear a deal of responsibility for others. As Christians, we must choose to love people. Not our version of it, not our experience of what love is. In fact, if you think about it, it's kind of humorous that Jesus added to the law I think he maybe realized that that bar of loving your neighbor as yourself was not high enough, especially for us females. We are not kind to ourselves, and we, uh, it can get dicey because we're not very good to ourselves sometimes. So, heaven forbid that we would treat each other in the same manner in which we treat ourselves sometimes. So Jesus sets the highest bar possible. Himself. His love. A standard which is frankly impossible in our flesh alone. And this is why human effort has always been inadequate in this way. It explains why our country continues to struggle with racism, which is clearly a sin. I don't have to convince any of us how much we need and rely upon the perfect love of God. We all want it. We all depend upon it. But as long as we are living in this flesh, it will only be through the Holy Spirit within us that we can love one another in the way that he has loved us. And so now we come to our app time. And I want us to consider humbly, in what ways can you better love others as God has loved you? I want you to take a minute, and this is a great journaling opportunity throughout the week, that you would prayerfully consider God, what are ways that you have loved me and I fall short of returning that love to the people around me? So send a text, talk to somebody in the room, and let us consider God's word among ourselves now. 
you will uh, consider uh, praying about that question uh, throughout this series. I remember um, Dad making the illustration with me as we were discussing Hebrews 4.12, I believe. Uh, The Word of God is compared to a sword. And I know that as I have uh, looked into these verses and considered the Word of God, I've been cut by the sword. And that's what Dad told me that day. He said, Chris, you handle a sword and you might get cut. And so that's okay because this is the guiding force in our lives as Christians. Our personal standards of conduct with one another should come directly from these pages. And next week we will look into how the Bible defines loving one another. What exactly does that mean and look like in practical terms, in terms of action? And I can tell you that it says a great deal. And we are called to be saints, Paul said. We are called to be followers of Jesus Christ, to live our lives the way that he has called us to. And so we do not take our cues from society. We don't take our cues on what is good and acceptable just from certain personalities. Those things can change overnight, as we have already seen many times. But this book right here remains true and untarnished by any event or any opinion. It is the foundation that we must live our lives upon. It is the rock that we cling to in these storms because it is sure, it is steadfast, and it will never change. I want to conclude by reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. It is a lengthy reading and a needful one. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, that we uh, might, oh goodness, I lost my place, help us, Lord, but that he loved us. I'm so sorry. Let's try that again. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God 
and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect or been made mature in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brothers also. Love. God's love is the most powerful force on the earth. It is the essence of who God is, John tells us. God is love. Love is greater than fear. It is the antidote to fear. Only love, John tells us, can remove fear from us. This speaks so profoundly to the time we are living in right now. The assurance of God's love overcomes our fear of the future. There is no fear in love. God's love overcomes our fears even of each other. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. When our faith wanes, when hope dims, God's love remains undaunted in our lives. And so I want to thank you for joining us tonight for Growth University. I would ask you to be intentional in the next few weeks to pray for one another, to love one another that the world would identify you and I as Christians in this day that we are living in. And so I say to you, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, that he would be gracious to you, that he would turn his face towards you and give you peace. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.